Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this evening. Good to see everyone. I think I can speak on behalf of all the missionaries to thank you for the wonderful hospitality that you've showed us. Thank you for the wonderful accommodations. A missionary will tell you that it's nice to have a nice place to stay and, of course, to have Wi-Fi and try to get some administrative uh, duties done while you're on the road. It's always tough to catch up, but thank you. And the wonderful meals, uh, I think the missionaries and I are going to leave here kind of fed up. Amen? But thank you for that, and it's just great to be with you all. I'm excited about the conference and excited about meeting the missionaries and getting to know uh, everybody that's here, the Shooks, and of course, uh, uh, had a time to talk to Justin and, and spend some time with him, and then of course the Morgans and meeting your pastor and his wife, time at their home. It was just a wonderful time, and uh, we'll leave here with our hearts knit together and just, uh, just talking about what God is doing in our midst, and, and he's working. <laughs> this means amen. This means really say amen, and these used to be flat. But uh, God is good, and uh, Jesus said, work while it is day, because the night cometh when no man can work. Now, I could have quoted that verse three years ago, and it had great meaning, but when we see what's going on in our world today, that verse has greater meaning. The opportunity for us to take the gospel to anybody that God allows us to cross our path. And so we live in exciting times. They're difficult times, but they're exciting times. Time to present the gospel to people who, are, who have a question mark on life. They're wondering what's going on. Science has failed them. Medicine has failed them. The government has failed them. But you know what? Jesus will never fail them. And so we need to focus on what God has called us to do. God, uh, some have said that missions conference is the most important set of meetings on the church's calendar. And some may differ and say, well, Brother Stevens, what about Christmas and Easter, Resurrection Sunday? What about that? Well, what is missions all about if it's not about the virgin-born son, his death, burial, and resurrection? And so missions is closest to the heartbeat of God in taking the gospel to the regions beyond and fulfilling the Great Commission. And I love the theme of the conference. I love the idea that the flags are up and the missionaries are here and the displays are set up and cards are being distributed. And these are important cards, the prayer cards that the missionaries are distributing throughout the Morgans, of course, and, and the Shooks and the Maskey's cards and our card. And we want you to pick these cards up and pray for us. And you say, Brother Stevens, uh, missionaries are always asking people to pray for them. Are they looking for a lot of people to pray for them? No, they're looking for the right people to pray for them. Those who know how to touch the hem of the garment, the Lord Jesus. When you're talking about working with Nigerians and Japanese and the people of Thailand, working with the gypsy people, these are people that Satan has held in his clutches for centuries, if not millennium, and he doesn't let go easy. We were talking about the cultures of the peoples that we work with, the superstition and the, the, the things that hold them in bondage. And we need God's people to bombard the throne room of God on our behalf. So we'd ask that you pray for us. And so those are important cards. But another card is going to be distributed, and that's called the Faith Promise Card. And those will be distributed, uh, by, I believe, by Sunday. And this is your opportunity to be involved in the Faith Promise commitment of your church. Now, we know that uh, election time is in November, but the truth of the matter, this is election time at Shawnee Baptist Church. You're going to be voting you're going to be voting on this card. Look at it as a ballot. And you can vote to give less than you gave last year. And you know what you're going to say then, preacher? Let's call some missionaries off the field. These are bad economic times. 
Or you can vote to give the same that you gave last year. And here's what you're saying. Preacher, let's keep it right where it's at. Uh, we, we know that tough times are tough. Or if you believe that the trumpet's going to sound and the eastern skies are going to break open and you can vote to give more than you gave last year, here's what you're saying, that you believe that Jesus is coming soon and that we need to occupy till he comes. So I hope and pray that you'll begin praying about your faith promise commitment so that Shawnee Baptist Church can do more in the coming year for the glory of Christ. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, please, and go to the book of Acts chapter 8. I need to make some statements here before we get into the Word of God. I think I said it in the chapel services. Uh, I'm a very enthusiastic preacher. I don't apologize for it. It's the way God wired me. But uh, if my enthusiasm offends you, then don't pay attention to me, pay attention to the preaching of God's Word. We're going to begin reading at Acts uh, chapter 8 and verse 5, just a few verses. Would you honor God's Word and stand with me for the reading of God's Word? It may not be your custom here to stand for the reading of God's Word. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you have to stand for the reading of God's Word. But we work with primitive people who don't understand the importance of this book, and I have my gypsy stand because I want them to know that it's God who is about to speak and not man. And when I'm preaching at churches like this, it makes me feel like I'm at home. So thank you for doing that. I'll read aloud as you follow in silence. Acts chapter 8, beginning at the fifth verse, pay attention closely to the word of God. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And I want you to pay close attention to the 8th verse. We'll get the theme of the message, the title of the message from verse 8. Watch with me now. And there was great joy in that city. The title of the message is How to Get Great Joy to the Cities of the World. Let's pray and ask God to bless our gracious Heavenly Father. We bow before you tonight in utter reverence of who you are and your word. And we've come, open, Lord, and we've opened the bread of life, and we're about to proclaim it. But, Father, mortal tongue can't do it justice. We need the touch of the blessed Holy Spirit upon us. Breathe upon your word with the breath of heaven Ignite it with the fires of the Holy Ghost and hide your servant behind the cross. Let no one leave here tonight uh, saying Walter Stevens did a great job, but may they praise and worship and honor and glorify the person of Jesus Christ. Father, I know there are always needs in the congregation. I don't know what they are. Your word says that man looks upon the outward appearance, but you look upon the heart. You know the needs. I pray that they be satisfied. Save souls. Encourage the believer. Draw unto yourself the backslider, Father, and call those into ministry that you're tugging upon their heart right now. We love you, Father. We thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Many times as you study the Word of God, you'll find that there's a natural outline. I say this many times about preaching a sermon, that the Bible will, will preach itself. Many times it just needs a voice. 
And here in these passages of Scripture, we find a God-given natural outline of how to reach the world with the gospel, how to get great joy to the Nigerian people, how to get great joy to the Thai people, how to get great joy to the people of Japan, how to get great joy to the gypsies, how to get great joys to those who are in Louisville and in your community here. How do we do it? God outlines in this passage of Scripture a process, if you will, a prescription, a formula, and there are components that God has put here. Now, I'm going to say this to you tonight. I'm no theologian. I'm a surface preacher. But there's enough on the surface of God's word that we can be challenged. And so what the preacher does is he collects from the surface these nuggets of gold, these nuggets of silver, these precious stones. He collects them and compiles a sermon and then distributes them to God's people so that you can go home enriched with the word of God, ready to do what God has challenged us and called us to do. And so how do we get great joy to the peoples of the world? Well, look how God brought it to the people of Samaria. Look what it says in verse Verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. If we know anything about the Samaritan people, they were the people that the Jews had no dealings with. Matter of fact, John chapter 4 verse 9 says, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. If you know anything about the Samaritans, they were considered the half-breeds. They were considered the ones who polluted the Jewish bloodline. They were the tribes that broke away and went to the north. But it also says in the Gospel of John that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. And if you know anything about your geography at the time of Christ, he really didn't have to go to Samaria to get where he was going, except there was going to be a woman at a well that needed to hear the gospel. And of course, we know the wonderful story, because God loves the Samaritans of the world. He loves the, off, uh, the, uh, the, the throwaways and the disposables and the marginalized peoples of the world. Do you know that we have not coined the phrase the good Roman, nor have we coined the phrase the good Jew? but we have coined the phrase the Good Samaritan, have we not? And the Samaritan peoples of the world get good religion, but how does great joy come to the cities of the world? How do we get great joy into the hearts of the gypsy people, the Nigerian people, the Thai people, the Japanese, when most of the world is in great despair? When most of the world is discouraged and, and downhearted, uh, we, we, we have perverted words like joy and happiness and contentment in our materialistic culture in which we live. We think that joy comes in something that we buy or a home that we live in or a, a car that we drive or a bank account that we have or fulfilling some educational goal. And we think that gives us joy. And many people end up brokenhearted and disappointed with life only because they don't know the person of joy who is Jesus Christ. In this natural outline, I want you to follow along with me in the scriptures, and I want you to see this process, and remember that our goal is to get to verse 8. How do we get great joy to the cities of the world? Look at verse 5. It says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Here's the first component. Here's the first ingredient. Here's the first part of our formula. There needs to be a preacher sent from God. It is the man who brings the message of great joy. In our story, Philip was the preacher sent from God. Who was the preacher that God used uh, to bring you the gospel? In 1995, I went to Eastern Europe for the first time. I was pastoring a gypsy work in Cleveland, Ohio, at the Cleveland Baptist Church, and a Romanian national pastor was pastoring a Romanian church in Akron, Ohio. He had left 
prior to the fall of communism just to come to the United States to have the liberty to preach the word of God. And he had told me via a telephone call that he was raised with my people in Romania. He spoke a little bit of the gypsy language, which is unusual because our language is predominantly an untaught language. And he invited us to his home where he showed us a homemade video of the gypsies of Thinka, Romania. Now, prior to the fall of communism, we had no understanding about the living conditions of the gypsy people of the world. And when he showed us this video, it pierced our hearts, and we knew that we had to go to Romania firsthand to see it for ourselves. So in 1995, we boarded a plane out of Cleveland, Ohio, second largest Hungarian population in the world is in Cleveland, Ohio. There was direct flights from Cleveland Hopkins Airport to Budapest, Hungary. And we went to Budapest, Hungary, and were literally put in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the National had gone a month before, and, but went to the big city and wasn't living in the rural area near Tinka where we saw the gypsies in that video, and we wanted to be near them. So he put us into an old, broken-down boarding house. There wasn't any screens in the window. It was summertime. We had a lot of visitors every night. If there, if there was any water, it was cold. I had taken with me, um, my sister had bought for me two three-pound Hickory Farm beef sticks. You know the ones you get at Christmas time? And I carried a case of ramen chicken noodle soup with me. You know, the ones that are 100 for a dollar? Not really. And, and I took with me a collapsible Coleman stove. A preacher, I didn't know you couldn't take sterno on an airplane, and I did. And that's what we ate, Raymond noodle soup and, and beef stick. And we brought some, bought some of the fresh-grown tomatoes, some of the greatest tomatoes I've ever eaten in my life, and got some bread out of the bakery every day. But we didn't have a car. And we would just get up every day and walk off into these villages. Now, under communism, uh, the, the communist government would put the gypsies always on the margins of villages and towns. There's no such thing as a gypsy town or a gypsy village. Each village or town has a parcel of land that was given to them by the communist government, more or less to get them out of mainstream society, get them out of their hair. So when we went to the little villages, it was easy to find that parcel of land. But when we came to the town of Thinka, remember this is the group of gypsies that we saw in the video. When we came to the town of Thinka, it was a town of almost 5,000 people. I didn't know where that parcel of land was. I didn't speak any Romanian, so I couldn't ask a national. But I'm bilingual. I speak English, of course, and my gypsy language. And as we entered the town of Thinka, there was a small gypsy boy, a little gypsy boy, about six years old, and he was gazing into a storefront window. And I said to him in the gypsy language, Kaile Roma, or where are the gypsies? We had no visible Bibles. There was no way that he was going to know that we were missionaries. We just had our backpacks. But he took us by the hand, and he led us clear across town to a small one-room house in that part of the town where the gypsy parcel of land was. When, he, when I say small one-room house, it was a house about 12 by 12. When he came to the door of the house, he didn't knock. He just opened the door and walked in very quietly, almost tiptoed. I looked to the other missionary that was with me and said, I think we should follow in the same way. And when we entered the small one-room house, we saw right away why he was entering quietly. No one lived in this house. This was a vacant house where gypsies would assemble for the specific purpose of prayer. And when we walked in, there were 10 or 12 gypsies on their knees in a circle praying. They didn't know we were there. 
One gypsy man prayed out loud, and I want you to see the sovereignty of God in this. Had he prayed in the Romanian language out loud, I wouldn't understood a word of his prayer, but the sovereign father had him pray in the gypsy language, and this was his prayer. He prayed, God, send us someone. Send us someone to tell us the truth of the gospel, for we are very confused. Now, to understand his prayer, the year is 1995. Communism had fallen six years prior, and in those six years, every cult and his brother was coming in from the West, confusing these primitive people, telling them that if they ate pork, they couldn't go to heaven. That would be a real problem for Baptists telling them that if they didn't speak in tongues, they couldn't go to heaven, and if they didn't worship on Saturday, they couldn't go to heaven. So you know the doctrines that go with those teachings. He said his amen, he stood to his feet, he's opened his eyes, and I was standing right in front of him. And I boldly said to him, in the gypsy language, I'm four generations from Eastern Europe, 5,000 miles away, separated by a little pond, God preserved my language. I was the only kid in an elementary school that spoke another language, and it confused me. But that day I realized why God preserved my language. And I said to him boldly in the gypsy language, we are the answer to that prayer. How would you like to get your prayers answered that fast? I presented the gospel to him. He and several others, some were already saved, several others fell to their knees and received the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. He was a professional musician by trade, and he would take his accordion with him to the prayer meetings where he would play Christian songs before they prayed. Gypsies are very emotional people. They laugh hard, they cry hard, and they celebrate hard. And he grabbed his accordion. We went outside on the dirt roads of Dinka. He began to play the accordion. Gypsies were coming from all over the community. It was like the Pied Piper. I think they thought there was a party going on. And there on the dirt roads of Dinka, Romania, I preached the gospel again. We had many saved. We had our first baptism in August of that year where 17 were baptized. And the nucleus of the Man of Baptist Church of Dinka, Romania had been established. The man that I heard praying was a man by the name of Giza Feketa. He is now our national pastor of four gypsy churches in Romania. There needs to be a preacher. There needs someone who takes the message of Christ. The preacher must obey the call of God upon his life. It's like Isaiah 6 says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I go and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, said me. Did the sovereign father not know that Isaiah was going to volunteer to be, take the gospel to the Jewish people? The preacher must be sent. That's what missions conference is about, to making sure that the missionaries are sent to their prospective fields. That's what the church is assembling for, to make sure that we get behind these missionaries, to facilitate their, their desire to satisfy the call of God upon their life. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15 said, How then shall they call in him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Watch the 15th verse. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. When I was assistant pastor in southwest Ohio, my pastor was six foot seven inches tall. I literally looked up to him. He wore a size 13 and a half triple E shoe. And many times he would go behind to prepare for baptism, and I'd follow him to help him. 
He'd sit down on a chair and I untie those 13 and a half triple E shoes and take them off. And I pull off his socks and I see those 13 and a half uh, uh, triple E feet. And you know what went through my mind? How beautiful are the feet of them that take the gospel. There needs to be a preacher. At the time of the Titanic disaster, there was a preacher by the name of John Harper. He was a 39-year-old widower. He and his daughter Annie and his sister were traveling uh, from Britain to Chicago for him to preach at Moody Church. And of course, when the ship hit that iceberg on the night of April 14, 1912, his daughter and his sister were put on a lifeboat, but John Harper stayed in the cold, icy waters of the North Atlantic, floating on whatever he could float on, preaching the gospel. He would go from person to person, say, are you saved? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you born again? And one survivor of the Titanic says this, he says, I found myself struggling in the cold, dark waters of the North Atlantic, the wail of the perishing was ringing in my ears when there floated by me a man who called to me and said, Sir, is your soul saved? Then I heard him float away and call out to others as everyone around me sank beneath the waters. There alone in the night with two miles of water under me, I cried to Christ to save me. I am John Harper's last convert. There needs to be a preacher. What does verse 5 says? Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. I want you to see the second ingredient in our formula. You'll find it from the same verse, verse 5. First, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, watch now, and preached Christ unto them. Here's the second component of how we get the verse 8. Don't forget our goal is to get the verse 8. There needs to be a preacher. And then secondly, there needs to be a proclamation of Christ. And you see, preacher, what, what else is a preacher going to proclaim besides Christ? Really? There's one guy who comes on TV. His haircut must be 200 bucks. He must have $20,000 worth of, of dental work. His suit's got to be a couple grand. And he comes on TV, and he tells me I'm good. And I have a problem with that, because I have to look at this mug in the mirror every morning, and I know that I'm not good. I've also heard this preacher say in an interview that there's many ways to get to heaven that you don't have to go through Jesus Christ. Not every preacher preaches Christ. Now, you may say, well, who is that preacher? Well, I'm not going to tell you his name, but his initials are Joel Osteen. There needs to be a preacher who proclaims Christ and the preacher is always faithful to preach Jesus. Philip was always faithful to preach Jesus. Go with me to the 34th verse of the same chapter. Here we see the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet of this, of himself or of some other man? Watch closely now. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Cover to cover, it's all about Jesus. Cover to cover, it's all about our Savior. And we preach him virgin born. We preach his sinless life. We preach him performing miracles. We preach him arrested. We preach him beaten. We preach him crucified. We preach him buried. Watch now. And we preach him resurrected. And we preach him coming again. There needs to be a preacher who proclaims Jesus. That's the second. We're getting to verse 8. We got to get to verse 8. There's got to be great joy in the city, and how do we get there? There needs to be a tree preacher who proclaims Christ. That's the full gospel. 
It's the person of great joy. It's the, it's the message of Emmanuel. By the way, that's my favorite name for Jesus. God with us. I talked to a lady one time and she said, Preacher, God has left me. And I said, my dear sister, <laughs> God doesn't move. You moved. His name is Emmanuel. We preach Emmanuel. We preach Christ. We preach Him. It is the message of Christmas. Luke 2 says, For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior. We preach a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We preach Him as Lord, Master King. Sometimes we get disappointed with the elections. And I told Brother Shook in the car, I think it was today I told him, I said, you know what? Our king doesn't come up for re-election. And his term never expires. We preach Christ. It is the message of God's glory. Verse 9 of Luke 2 says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. It is the message of great joy. That's the 10th verse of Luke 2. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. We're talking about great joy in the city. It is the message of praise to God. Verse 13, And there suddenly was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. It is the message of God's peace. Verse 14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. It is the message of God's light. Verse 9 says, The glory of the Lord shone round about them. There needs to be a preacher. And he needs to proclaim Christ. Hey, what's our goal? Our goal is to get to verse 8. Our goal is to get great joy into the cities of Thailand and Nigeria and Japan amongst the gypsy people and all the mission fields of your church. But I want you to see number 3. And I called number 3 the missing link. And you'll find it in the 6th verse. Now let's not forget what we talked about in verse 5. There needs to be a preacher. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. They need to proclaim Christ. He preached Christ unto them. Watch verse 6. Watch closely now. And the people, with one accord, gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. There needs to be a preacher. There needs to be a proclamation of Christ. But watch, church. There needs to be a people who unite with the man and the message. There needs to be a visionary, someone who can see. When the Apostle Paul and those men with him on that ship set sail, they were going to Asia and the Spirit suffered them not. They were going to Bithynia and the Spirit suffered them not. And then Luke writes this. He says, after he had seen the vision, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel of them. It was a singular vision. After he had seen the vision. There needs to be a visionary. Someone who can see. Paul was that man on that ship. After he had seen it, it was only Paul who could describe the Macedonian to you. Only Paul could tell you the color of his hair, the color of his eyes, the quiver of his voice, the tear flowing down his eye. Only Paul could describe. But Dr. Luke and those men that were with him, watch what it says now. After he had seen the vision, we endeavored to go into Macedonia. Luke didn't see the Macedonian. Those others on the ship didn't see the Macedonian. Watch now. There needs to be a visionary. Many times the pastor stands behind the pulpit and says, we need to go into Thailand. We need to go into Nigeria. We need to go into Japan. And you may say, preacher, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. It's okay. Because I have a philosophy that I live by. When you can't see, hang on to somebody who can see until you gain your sight. Hello? Can't stay blind all your life. 
And Paul had the vision. And you know what would most independent Baptists would do when Paul said, hey, it's not Asia, when it's not Bithynia, most independent Baptists would have jumped ship. This guy don't know what he's doing. But you know what? They knew the testimony of that preacher. They knew his call. They knew that God told him he would suffer great things for his call. There needs to be a people. The people united with the preacher because he preached the right message. The people united with the preacher because he preached truth. The people united with the preacher because he preached God's word. The people united with the preacher because he preached Christ. The people united with the preacher because he preached with power. And the people united with the preacher because his, his life matched his message. And the people united because they witnessed the power of God. And watch now, when you put these three components together, when you put a preacher and the proclamation of Christ and the people together, watch now, they become a power they become an entity to be used for God's glory and God's honor. Amen. It can't work without the unity of the preacher, the proclamation, and the people. There needs to be unity. God loves unity. Matter of fact, he hates division. These six things does the Lord hate, ye seven, are abomination of him. Those who sow discord amongst the brethren, they paid attention. Now, not just because it's numeric. You can't get to verse 8 without taking care of verse 7. Hello? Can't get, not just because it's numerical. 8 doesn't come after 7 just because of numbers. By the design of God, three components need to be put into the equation to get the verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. What's the three components? A preacher, proclamation of Christ, and a people united with the man and the message. But something needs to be taken out of the equation. And it's in verse 7. Look with me, please. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And verse 8 says, and there was great joy in that city. I've entitled this point, in order for us to get great joy to the cities of the world, there needs to be a pulling down of the strongholds of Satan. Yeah. Now, I already said to you that the preacher and the proclamation of Christ and the people united become a power. They become an entity that the satanic world just cannot stand. And you say, preacher, you're one of those, you believe in demons and you believe in demonic activity and devils. You say, we, we, we don't have that problem in America. You know what we do in America? We camouflage it. We hide it over. I work with gypsy people. They're people of the earth. They can't hide it. They're people of nature. I have preached in Vadim, Bulgaria, where we took one side of the street and all the, the, the gypsies were on the other side of the street. And I preached with our team and was giving the invitation. And as I was giving the invitation, a young woman in her 20s approximately stood up and crossed and came forward to receive Christ. That was the invitation. She got in the middle of the street and her eyes rolled back in her head and she fell to the side, to the ground with her hands to the side, began rolling. Pastor Gitsa Feketa was with me then. He went to deal with her and he said when he approached her, a masculine voice was coming out of her and as much as a woman tries to talk like a man, she still sounds like a woman. We prayed. She came to her senses. The gospel was presented to her. She got saved. She stood up, threw her arms up in the air, and she says, I'm finally set free. It was known that she was demon-possessed. There's no great joy in her life until verse 7 was taken care of. I preached at a church for Pete Heise in, uh, in Timisoara, Romania. And there about the last row, there was a woman all dressed in black. 
And as I was preaching, I watched her grab the chair in front of her and began shaking that chair. At the invitation, she came forward to my left, and Brother Heisey went to deal with her. He said when he went there, she was shaking profusely. He presented the gospel to her, and she got saved. Her name is, was Maria Bogdan. Maria Bogdan was dressed in black because she was known as the local witch. It was a weeks of meetings, and every night, Maria Bogdan was the first one at the door. She got baptized, became a productive member of the church, and now she's in heaven. There can't be great joy until there's a preacher with a proclamation of Christ and a people who unite. Watch now, church. And together they pull down the strongholds of Satan. Tell me, don't the strongholds of Satan need to be pulled out in Louisville? Preacher and I went on visitation the other day. Boy, there was some strongholds out there. Uh, Tyler and I went to one house. We were in this one guy. First he told me his name was Mark. Then he told me his name was Steve. And then he told me another name, Tony. Just playing with me. And then he told me that the guy he was standing next to was his husband. And I know he was just playing with my head. I know what he was doing. Preacher was witnessing the one guy and he was definitely high out of his mind. There's strongholds of Satan all around us. And that, that stronghold is not going to be broken down. It's not going to be pulled down until there's a preacher, a proclamation of Christ, and a people who unite. We need to take Satan out of the equation. But you know what we've done in America? Instead of taking Satan out of the equation, we put him into the equation. Quiet in here. In our story, they chased away the devil that stole their joy and happiness in the first place. For the thief coming out for the steal, to kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That's what we're seeing happen to the Nigerians. That's what we're seeing happen to the Thai people, the gypsy people. Is that we see that the great joy is coming into their life. You know what Jesus said in Mark 3, 27? He says, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Yeah. Satan needs to be bound in order for us to get them delivered from his bondage. Let me tell you something about my past life. I think some of you know I was a con man in a traveling carnival. From the time I was a small boy, my parents taught me how to lie, steal, and cheat. And as a 10-year-old boy, if I performed the con, my parents would reward me. If I didn't perform the con, they would reprimand me. That would confuse a 10-year-old boy. But you know what? You don't forget how to steal. Hello. I still know how to steal. And I'm here to proclaim to you tonight that I'm still stealing. And you know what I'm stealing? Souls out of the clutches of the devil. Who have been held hostage by Satan. My people, gypsy people. For thousands of years, held in the clutches of the enemy as hostages. You say, preacher, who do you go to, the hostage taker? No, I go to the hostage. And what do I tell the hostage? If the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we're seeing great joy come to the gypsy people of the world. As our dear missionaries are seeing in their prospective fields. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. says this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Watch now. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Hey, listen, that's the power that God has given to the local church, and we underestimate the power and authority that God has given us. Didn't Jesus say what we bind on earth will be bound in heaven? Didn't he say what we set free on earth will be set free? And watch now. Most Christians don't understand the power and the authority that God has bestowed upon the local church. Here's the question. Shouldn't devil, the devil be afraid of us? Well, the preacher said that's right. Thank you, preacher. Shouldn't the devil be afraid of us? But you know what most Christians are? They're afraid of the devil. Oh, really quiet in here now. Are you a threat to the devil? Are you rattling the devil's cage? See this card? If you fill it out and give something to missions, you'll be rattling the devil's cage. If you pray for these missionaries, you'll be rattling the devil's cage. That's what God's called us to do, to be a threat to the devil. Here's a question. Does the demonic world know your name? In Acts chapter 19, there's a story about the sons of Sceva. And they decided they were going to cast out demons, but they didn't have the authority to do so. You know the story. And here's what they said to the demons. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we cast you out. And you know what the demons did? Here's what they said. Watch now. This is the demonic world. This is the demonic world that knows things that most of us don't know. And here's what they said to the sons of Sceva. Jesus we know. Paul we know. But who are you? They were not a threat to the devil because they were not a part of the authorized church of Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to catch out of this. The demon said, Jesus we know. Well, it's obvious they know Jesus. He created them. Hmm? Well, watch what they said. Jesus we know. Paul we know. Paul was made of the same stuff that you and I are made. But the demonic world put Jesus and Paul on the same level. What level was that? Their threat. Paul was a threat to the demonic world. They knew his name. Christian, does the demonic world know your name? I read a bookmarker that says this. Live your life in such a way that when you get up in the morning and your feet hit the ground, Satan shudders and says, Oh no, he's awake. What the God that would describe my life. We can be a threat to the devil this week. Tonight, tomorrow night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school. If we'll understand all that God has given to the local church, there needs to be a preacher. Maybe there's some young people out here tonight that God is tugging upon your heartstrings to preach God's word. I know you don't understand it right now. Most preachers don't. But they know there's a calling. There's a tugging. There's a pulling. In the winter of 1985 in New Carlisle, Ohio, at the Crossroad Baptist Church, I went forward at an altar and I said, Hey, God, if you're calling me, I'm giving you my phone number. 
You say, I, I don't have what it takes. God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. And I want you to listen to this very closely. If God can use Walter Stevens, he can use anybody. I have a sixth grade education. Kind of like Jethro, the Beverly Hillbillies. For those of you who can remember the Beverly Hillbillies. Former Carney Catholic gypsy. Doesn't look real good on the resume of a missionary. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and I'll be the first one to raise my hand. Maybe God's tugging upon your heart for full-time service. You need to present yourself like I did. Whatever God is doing in your life, you need to present yourself. There needs to be a preacher who proclaims Christ. There needs to be a people who unite with the preacher and the proclamation, and here's what they do. Collectively, they pull down the strongholds of Satan. And verse 8 says, and there was great joy in that city. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one's looking around.